This is the first episode of a new podcast show focusing on unions and labor issues. We're calling this podcast show Love's Labor One. And yes, folks, that is a play on the name of a play by William Shakespeare. This first episode regards the recent contract negotiations, which were successfully concluded on behalf of grocery workers, leading to a new contract significantly uplifting the lives of tens of thousands of grocery workers and their families, while avoiding what could have been a devastating strike. To learn more, our podcast team of Paul Michael Newman and Renee Nahum talk in this podcast episode with Mark Ramos, the president of United Food and Commercial Workers Local 1428. And so we hope you enjoy this, our first episode of Love's Labor One. Hello, this is Paul Michael Newman, and I'm here with Renee Nahum and also Mark Ramos, president of the United Food and Commercial Workers, that's UFCW, Local 1428. This is either an episode of Hole in the Air, which would be a weird episode I'll explain in a moment, or it's a, an episode of a new uh, uh, new podcast uh show called perhaps Love's Labor Won. Uh, and this would be a show about labor issues and, and unions and workers. But we're here because, oddly enough, we did a an episode earlier with Mark. Back when we recorded, he was kind enough to uh, spend a few minutes with us to record an episode having to do with the negotiations being conducted on behalf of the grocery workers, a really big deal, uh, an important struggle uh, that uh, we wanted to get the news out as quickly as possible in terms of the details, because these things aren't always well covered in the mainstream media, is my perspective at least, and yet these are things that affect not just those workers, but frankly, their neighborhoods uh, and our understandings of who we are when we uh, deal with people who, who perhaps live across the street or in our own home, but uh, in our community, but also who work in the businesses where we shop. And this was a really important struggle, and so we discussed it, and we were going to put it on the, uh, we were going to post that podcast episode, but we were still newbies, and it took a little longer to figure it out. And by the time we were just ready to do it, well, of course, they were concluding their negotiations. They, they were successful, and <laughs> I frankly, I forget if I called Mark up to ask if we might actually get them to put off the settlement for a vote for a week or two so that our, our podcast episode could still be uh, timely. I was voted down. Uh, but that wasn't to be. So we're going to actually flip this weirdly chronologically because we're going to first talk to Mark today, which is October 16th, I believe, in the year 2019. Am I correct? Yes, it's yeah. Wednesday. Um, right century, right year. And then you will hear the the... The uh, I don't know energy and tension and 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 idealism of a person helping to lead uh, negotiations before they're resolved, but discussing all the kinds of things that could affect so many many workers and their families' lives for for years to come. So we're going to start with October sixteenth. Uh, today and then after that we'll segue back into we'll play the earlier recording which we never actually posted so without further ado mark thank you for being here oh again thank you thank you for the invitation and glad to sit down and do this again uh Look, before we begin, I would uh, like to say um, congratulations to my brothers and sisters at the United Auto Workers uh, at the GM plants for reaching a tentative agreement with uh, General Motors. Um, and my understanding is the contract will be presented to the membership over the next few days. Um, and hopefully we can get those folks back to work and producing product and uh, get America rolling again. How so many members does... Are, are there uh, affected by that? That no. GM contract, I believe, was around 40, I think 45 or 48,000 people at GM, at GM. Um, that did not include um, Fiat, Chrysler, or Ford. How many states do you know? Or? I don't know how many states. I know here in Southern California, or out where I'm at, uh, in, in the Empire, there were two facilities, uh, one in Fontana and one in Rancho Cucamonga. Not very big plants. There were more warehouses for parts. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, auto industry has left California, um, where we used to have some really, really big plants here, and those things just no longer exist because they moved off to areas where land is cheaper and uh, labor is cheaper. Still, I know we discussed a week or so ago, we're all 
believe it or not, busy with our lives. But um, we did discuss possibly going out to one of those uh, plants to talk to people then on the picket line. I, I don't know if they're still on it through the vote, which presumably may well validate the tentative agreement. Yeah. But um, maybe we can soon go uh, go out there, or better yet, convince them to drive their nice GM cars, whatever they drive, <laughs> or take the train uh, out here. We're in L.A., um, but um, maybe we can talk to some of the workers about what they've gone through. That would be nice. I, I think if you guys could arrange it and have mm-hmm. a worker, and even after it's if, if they ratify the deal, um, sitting down and talking with them, I think would be worth your while and understanding their industry and a lot of the sacrifices. Um, that these folks have made to keep a very vital industry in this country uh, in existence, especially during the Great Recession and how these workers made major concessions in order to save these companies um, and how they felt the uh, their sacrifice was not respected um, when it came time to bargaining uh, their contracts. And I realize some people who are listening might be doing so with befuddlement or wonderment, wondering wait a second, people have to go to another place to talk to them for a podcast? I will say, so far at least, we've not we've refrained from doing any remote pot, uh, recording, and we've actually enjoyed doing it face-to-face, person-to-person. Um, that may make us uh, fogies, <laughs> antiquated, but uh, but it's, a, it's at least right now, it's nice. Plus, of course, when people are on a picket line, or I presume coming off of it, it's a good way to show solidarity to actually yeah. show up. Because that's what they're doing, uh, and in a very trying emotionally and, and financially uh, settings, uh, they're they're putting themselves out there. So we like to go out uh, and 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 be real people face to face. Not that that's uh, as meant to be a slight to those who use Skype or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, well, before we go on to talk about the uh, the settlement that was uh, reached uh, in terms of grocery workers, um, l- let me ask you, what happens in terms of uh, your local and also uh, your union in general, in terms of another union like the auto workers um, doing what they've been doing, how, to what degree... Is there, are there communications? Is there uh, some sort of vote or action of solidarity to folks joining picket lines or not? Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of it depends on the capacity of the union that is having the issue to communicate their issue to folks. Um, we do a lot of the, the back and forth communicating at our central labor councils or here in Los Angeles, the LA, the LA Fed. Um, and that, that becomes kind of our gathering place where we share information about what's going on. Um, you know, and being around in this, uh, working at UOCW since, at least at the local since 2001, I've built a lot of relationships with folks. So it's, you know, picking it up, going back and forth, you know, reading the newspaper, um, you know, reading stuff online. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know we went out, the staff from uh, our local went out um, pretty early on to show support. Um, we actually have a, uh, a food bank at our local um, that we offered um, to those members at UAW because they were their strike benefit was $250 a week. Um, so we knew some families would be struggling, so we offered them access to the food bank, and we will continue to do so because um, this being the fifth week of their, their work stoppage, um, there will be needed time to recover um, and kind of get their, their household and finances back in order. Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that there is that kind of communication and coordination, though it's yeah. tricky time, a lot of times, uh, and these are challenging economic times for most of us, um, even while the economy is touted by some as being uh, uh, gung-ho. Right. Um, it does seem to significantly benefit those at the very top, and the rest of us are left... Uh, a lot of challenges. Um, it's a really good time for for people who are in labor to recognize that they're central to a lot of the, uh, the the trends that hopefully are underway that change the direction of this country for the better and take us to really better and much needed places. Um, so, having said all that, <laughs> well, I was just going to ask. Like, so, do you think right now the health of the labor movement? What is the health of the labor movement? Do you think that younger people now, because the the progressive social democrats are are sparking some sort of interest in younger voters, that maybe they will understand the labor movement more and how it 
it affects them or can affect them. Well, I, I think what we're starting to see is, yeah, that, that um, from what I've read, um, you know, various sources, that younger folks, I will say, you know, if we're, however we define young, I'll just say younger than 40, um, are beginning to realize as they're settling into a career that having a voice in the workplace is actually an extremely important thing. Um, as we're starting to see a lot of media groups begin to unionize, um, we're starting to see those things happening. Um, we're, there is a severe need for tradesmen. Um, so people are going out and entering apprenticeship programs to be electricians, laborers, you know, all of those different trades. So there's a real need for those folks. And I think folks are starting to really realize that there's a lot of value in the idea of being paid a fair day's wages, being able to go to the doctor when you're sick, um, and after you've given the best years of your lives to an employer, that you can retire with some dignity and all through that process that um, whether you utilize it or not is up to you, but all through that process you have a voice. And I think it's a very unique thing. And I, what I always like to tell our members is, you know, uh, uh, for us, like during negotiations, the, the union and the company, the union leadership, I should say, and the company's representatives, we're arguing. We argued for six months at the bargaining table, right? And we go back and forth and we go back and forth and all those different actions that we do. But at the end of the day, we're, we're arguing over is to bring something to the members and say, what do you think? Do you like this or not? And that the members at the end of the day have the ultimate power, whether to accept or reject a contract. Yeah. And I think that is a very unique thing and a very unrealized power that workers don't realize that they can have. And I think uh, little by little, people are starting to wake up to that power and realizing um, that it's okay to have a voice and it's okay to use your voice. But when we use it collectively, we're all in a much better place, right? I mean, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, um, you know, some folks like to think that the world is their world is just their world and their con what they do doesn't touch anybody else or affect anybody else. But we all are interconnected and the better that we're all doing, the better that we all do. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how different it is. I, I suspect it is. There has been change in terms of the focus of a lot of a lot of labor's focus that perhaps in the past it was uh more strictly focused, you can correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, more strictly focused on called bread and butter, right. pay and, and safety issues and things of, of that like of that uh, type. And, but now we also see people focus on environmental issues, mm-hmm. focus on all kinds of, 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 uh, of topics that uh, have to do with their, their work life and their community. Yeah. And there is a sense of, of, uh, of, uh, dimension and and depth to their concerns it's not just give me 50 cents more right. now or whatever and right. we're satisfied right and then also perhaps health care i mean not perhaps health care but then you start talking about child care you start talking about all kinds of issues you can talk about very basic things like jury duty pay okay. right when you get called for jury duty do you get paid on those days off or does your employer require to pay you um you know legally if you're not unless you have a contract with your employer that states that you're going to get paid you don't Right? You take vacation days or whatever else. Um, and those are very, what I like to call quality of life things um, that a lot of times we just kind of take for granted and don't realize that it's there in the contract. Um, and it's a very, again, a very unique opportunity that you only have if you, not that necessarily you belong to a union, but you have a contract with your employer that, uh, that uh, abides or, or gives you those kinds of things. One of the issues out there is automation, and I know that last night there was a presidential debate, or at least on the Democratic Party side, and it was curious that some candidates, more than others, saw that as being a big issue, a big mm-hmm. a big challenge. Others seem to suggest that maybe uh, there were still other matters that should be granted precedence right. in, in, in terms of the, uh, the sense of priority. 
be that as it may, that is something that I believe came up in our earlier conversation, which was about grocery workers and, right. and the negotiations. If you can maybe just give a Absolutely. description of what was going on and then to really get to the meat and potatoes, so yep. to speak, of, Absolutely. Of, of what happened. I think um, when previously when we spoke, I kind of laid out our goals for our members um, and what our what our uh, goals to achieve during negotiations were. And I can tell you, I think that we achieved those things. Um, the wages we wanted to be around three uh, percent wage increases for our members annually, and the wage increases that we got for the the major two classifications uh, were two and a half percent and three and a half percent. We got increases on our health care plan, which we have not had in a very long time. We secured enough funding for our pension plan um, and our health care plan going forward. Um, we talked about automation earlier, or you mentioned automation earlier. We put together a joint committee with the employers and the union um, where we will be able to we will meet quarterly and we will have conversations about what the future of work looks like. I think that there's been a yeah, – I heard uh, somebody member, Lorena Gonzalez, mention this last week at an event – that we've had a lot of talk about the future of work and what it looks like, but we haven't had a whole lot of talk about, a whole lot of uh, conversations around the idea of the future of workers um, and what that looks like. Um, you know, in her big bill AB five, which is uh, the the Dynamax decision now codified into state law now that the governor signed it, um, which uh, allows folks in the gig economy, whether it's Instacart, Uber, um, to be classified as actual employees, um, which is what they really are. Um, but those types of things are coming, and we have to be prepared for them. And I think, um, like I said, it was, uh, it was you know, over the last like, – these were the largest wage increases I've seen since 1995. Um, and I think a lot of times our members walk into um, sometimes a ratification meeting and, you know, negotiations is give and take. And they're always like, okay, well, what did we give up? Um, you know, and we were able to look them in the eye this time around and say, we didn't give anything up that it was all gains and everything was in the positive side and that the employers were actually somewhat upset that they believed that they overpaid or they, they were, we extracted more from them than they were willing to give. Um, and I think a lot of the credit for that extraction to the positive for our members goes to the members and to the community um, for the solidarity that was shown where folks were understanding um, that these are important jobs for the quality of life of our communities. Cause these are, 60,000 people and a lot of them have families so when you count what we like to call belly buttons you end up somewhere around 120 130,000 people in California Southern Total. just Southern California what, do you, what I mean by the belly buttons when you you include the, those workers dependents sure you know mm-hmm. now there are uh, how to so this is throughout California oh, it's Southern so California, California. Mm-hmm. Um, the how will this how will this affect uh, U.S. well, grocery store workers across the country. Are there are there parallel situations happening? Yeah, I think one of the things that happens right after we settled, um, Northern California settled their contract. Um, we saw. Um, I think um, I'm trying to think. I think Seattle was out. I think uh, Oregon actually settled. Um, I think Seattle reached a deal, so they're so we're starting to see the rolling effect, which, which is normal because California or Southern California, especially, I'll say, kind of leads the pace, um, and we kind of set terms and conditions around the country. Whatever usually, whatever Southern California gets, other parts of the country will get as much of that as possible because you, you know it's their contracts aren't as uh, old as ours or as rich as ours, um, and this contract has been in place for you know, I don't know, 70 years or something like that. Um, and so it, it's a, it's a very, it's a mature contract as we call it. And, but Southern California does set the pace. And I think we're starting to see now the effect of the other ones beginning to get settled that we're kind of laying out there. So how long is this contract um, in place for? Three years, but when, when actuality two and a half years, cause it took us six months, right? So it's two and a half years. Um, we tried to move the dates, but uh, the employers just were not uh, acceptable to it. And to be honest with you, um, that wasn't an issue that we were, at the end of the day, going to fight too much over. The, you're, you're, talk, you, you're talking of a contract singular, singular, but there was, a, in a sense, a kind of a, a yes. cousin, a near cousin. A, a couple of cousins, I, I should. Yeah, a couple of cousins. We stayed her brothers um, and Gelson's. 
um, because they are more or less uh, mirror their contracts mirror this contract. And I this contract to, is the major one is the one we call Master Food, and that's we, the we, Master that's is with which? Rouse. That's Rouse uh, Pavilions, Vaughn's, Albertsons. Okay. Um, we call it the master food contract. Um, the the Stater Butters and Gelson's contract were uh, settled uh, relatively right after, so to speak, a few weeks after. Um, and same wages, uh, so you see same conditions, um, same language, same contributions to the health care fund. They're, Gelson's and Stater Butters being, in actuality, smaller employers, um, they're tied economically to the bigger guys, and that's why they usually sign an extension or, as some folks like to call it, a sweetheart deal. Um, and it just – so we settled those right after, a few weeks after. So, yeah, we are pretty much set. Um, the only other contract that we are still working on right now is the pharma, the retail pharmacist agreement, which is the pharmacist who work in those grocery stores. You, you did mention, it's now a couple, few months since we actually yeah. talked, but uh, you mentioned, uh, perhaps it was those workers, that, uh, or, or actually maybe it was in the bakery? There, uh, uh, there, well, uh, I think we talked about what we call the perimeter departments, yeah. the bakery, the deli, um, that those folks, as hard as they worked, that our goal was to bring them a little closer to what the, the classification we call the food clerks, the checkers, the produce, the folks who work in produce, um, the, the solid folks who work overnight stocking the shelves. Um, the goal was to bring those folks a little closer. We got them closer, uh, not as close as we wanted, um, but we still did get them, like I mentioned earlier, the largest wage increases that we have seen um, in the last I don't know what now, 25, 24 years. Um, but on top of that, one of the other things that we did get was our members have a minimum hours guarantee. So um, if you were a clerk, whether you're a GM clerk, you're a service deli bakery or a food clerk, you have a minimum guarantee of 24 hours a week. Um, and that guarantees you automatic qualification for your health care. Um, so you don't have to work full time to re- get your health care. You just need to work 92 hours a month and 24 gets you to 96. So what we were able to do for our more senior members um, with 15 years or more of service, we were able to increase that minimum guarantee to 28 hours a week. So when we look at the contract in, when it matures in three years um, and those wage increases are in place, um, for some folks, it's like a 20% wage increase mm-hmm. when, with the, with the uh, extra guarantee of hours and the wage increases. You said, uh, you, you said that uh, it was about a six-month period of, I guess, negotiations? Right. Or? Um, to what extent was there a picket, an active picket line? We we no no picket no official picket lines. We had lots of rallies. We did what we called informational picket lines, where um, you know the, there it's the law is very explicit on how you what your picket sign can look like, what it can say. Um, so nothing said on strike. Um, you know, it could so say nobody would, had to cross a picket line no, to go absolutely shopping. Not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. Right. Um, you know, so so yeah, it, it has to say on strike. It has to say who's on strike, um, where you're on strike, who you're on strike against. Um, so we may have had some signs, but they were probably more. I know, like what we did at our local was we asked members to come in and make personal signs. Right? So do they? Like, do they still get family? A, and, do they still get a union bug? No, because we're just there with markers. <laughs> but but uh, we, do, we did print signs. We did print signs. Um, we had an image that we used of one of our members. Um, and early on, our, our motto at 1428 was fair pay feeds families. And then we pivoted to one job should be enough. And all those that we printed, yeah, uh, had the union bug on. Um, <laughs> and in our prior conversation, which, again, will follow this one for listeners' sake, um, you discussed, I think, the, the fact that there was a private equity firm that had a substantial interest in this and that that uh, potentially was a factor uh, in terms of just how things might or might not get resolved or how they'd get resolved and, yeah. and how easily they'd get resolved. What was their place in the scheme of things as things did indeed lead to a resolution? Well, I think it's Cerebus. Cerebus is a company, a private equity firm that owns Albertsons and Vons um, across the U.S. Um, and all of the different iterations of Albertsons and Vons in the, in the Northeast, it's Acme or Star, um, and I think it's Tom Thumb, other places. Um, it's Safeway. Um, so 
Cerebus owns them. Cerebus is heavily in debt. Cerebus has owned them for more, I think, almost 10 years now. Um, has owned Albertsons, and then they picked up Vons uh, about five years ago, or Safeway, I should say. Um, so they're ready to spin it off. They're ready to go public. They're ready to kind of cash in on their investment, so to speak. Um, so our impression in negotiations was they didn't want a long pro they didn't want a work stoppage that they didn't mind the long protracted negotiations but they did not want a work stoppage because it would hurt their ultimate goal um, which is paying down debt and going public um, and we knew that going in uh, we, or we assumed that going in that that was a, a point of strength for us um, and so we put a lot of pressure on them and and Kroger um, you know but uh, I think in the end Cerebus or realized or the leadership at Albertsons and Vaughn's realized that uh, it was better to cut the deal. Um, and if you feel you have to overpay for a little while, that's okay because at the end of the day, there's the bigger payday coming from Wall Street. And that obviously that would put them in a really it, weak position to right. go public if yeah. there was strikes all over. If, yeah. if we if we had a strike throughout Southern California, yeah. um, it sure would have set back their prospectus um, and would have – I mean, the, the GM strike, GM was losing $250 million a week, right? Now, grocery strike, you're not going to lose that much, but you would have lost a good you know, tens of millions of dollars um, over a week of, of shopping, of people not shopping in your stores. So I think they weren't willing to take that risk, and again, they figured it was better to kind of cut the deal and uh, – move forward because there's a bigger pot of gold waiting for them. What was the uh, final vote of membership on this? Uh, I think the membership ratified the agreement. Um, it's, it, it was overwhelming. I think I think our final numbers were, we were over 90% on ratification. Oh. And you need 50% plus one? On a ratification, you need 50 plus one. Um, strike vote, you need two-thirds. Um, it's a higher hurdle to, to, to for a strike vote. So, you know, what we did was um, the last five days of negotiations that we met with the companies, we sat with them the first day, and they told us, they were like, so what, we're going to meet a few days, and then you guys will go back and take another vote? Because we told them this was um, the week of September 8th, and we told them, look, whatever we walk away with on the 8th, we're going to begin voting on the 9th. So they assumed that we would just spend a few days talking um, and that we would just go on the ninth and start voting and take another strike vote and hold more rallies and, you know, drag the thing out. Um, and we said, no, that's absolutely not what's going to happen here, that whatever we receive from you when we leave on the 8th, we will begin voting on the ninth, And if the members vote it down, there will be a strike. The um, well, first of all, you know, you, you, earlier you congratulated your uh, brothers and sisters, uh, the auto workers, um, Absolutely. for what seems to be uh, a successful uh, action. We, we have our fingers crossed. Look, they are very concerned about plants closing yeah. um, or GM, uh, you know, shutting down a plant and maybe building, you know, batteries for electric vehicles. Um, and the United Auto Workers want to make sure that those remain their jobs right. because, as we know, uh, it was the manufacturing in those industries that really built a lot of the Midwest and those towns mm -hmm. like Toledo. I did want to uh, – so we uh, – I'm sure I can speak for Renee in saying we, we likewise uh, – uh, congratulate them for their uh, commitment, for what they do, and, and uh, you know, just as fellow Americans and human beings uh, who actually uh, struggle for, in the, in the best of senses, yeah. uh, in, cha in challenging circumstances, they actually stand up and, and do what they can to to correct things for the better. But I do want to uh, similarly salute. Your union and, and yourself, but also the all the workers who who uh, hung in there, yeah. and uh, and their and their friends and family, the communities that they're in that that join them, and with empathy and concern and respect, um, I'm sure it's uh, it was a tough struggle for them to be in the, that sort of uncertainty for for that length of time. But also before that, to be working uh, hard, long hours, uh, difficult jobs, yes. and mm -hmm. and not necessarily getting all that well rewarded. 
Um, maybe before we we go on to the earlier recording, I'd like to ask you one uh, kind of basic question, or, or which is a request, make a request of you, which is, if you can, um, just maybe briefly take us into the room or whatever, who, the, how the negotiations actually transpired. I mean, I you know, I don't know. I sort of in my mind's eye have have what I've seen on a TV. S- a smoke filled room. Well, no, I, I'm thinking more of like an NFL draft or something, uh, or NBA, or yeah. pick your pick your poison. Right. Uh, Papers across the table. Right. Here's Major the number. League baseball. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no. How that's done, and also, uh, I am curious. I mean, I'm sure we'll do plenty, if especially if this turns into a series, uh, ongoing series regarding labor, a podcast series. That will be uh, uh, not always saying sweet, nice things about yeah. uh, uh, the uh, the folks on the other side of the table and labor actions, but uh, and disputes and negotiations. But I'm curious if you felt that there was some degree of sympathy and, and respect and regard, or if it was purely or mostly. I'm sure it was mostly a calculation about getting something satisfied so they could move on and get their their uh, rewards from the Wall Street and what was going to happen there, but but I I, I am you know I, I think it's plausible that people can in a personal way maybe conceivably mm-hmm. right uh, do things that aren't just based on a bottom line but that are based on a feeling that people deserve uh, what they're worthy of and what they've earned. So yeah. that's sort of my question. No, I, I look the every union depending on the relationship, mainly depending on the relationship with the employer, bargains differently. Um, this contract, because of a lot of the bargainers and the history because of the strike in 2004, it's a very sensitive situation, and um, it can cause a major disruption to the economy in Southern California. So almost immediately, we get a, a very senior mediator from the Federal, Medi- Federal Mediation and Conciliatory Service. Um, it is a free service that is offered to labor unions, um, and they send in a mediator, and his job or their job um, is to just get a deal. They don't care what the deal is. They don't care if our members took a 50% pay cut. Their job is just to avoid a strike or any type of a work stoppage. So we usually work through the mediator. Um, we meet every so often face-to-face with the companies and during our bargaining, but the uh, we're in separate rooms, and we shuttle back and forth through the mediator. And then when we do need to talk about something, he brings us all together. Um, so it is just uh, a lot of paper going back and forth, um, exchanging ideas. Sometimes we... Uh, you know, um, because people are very sensitive about what gets out into the public. So sometimes instead of like uh, we call a proposal, we begin to talk about what we call supposals, which means as we're sitting there, we're like, well, suppose we did this or suppose we did that. And sometimes moving towards something that seems, you know, just very unserious as a supposal can be what breaks the dam open and leads you to uh, an agreement because you're having a very off-the-record conversation and just uh, in an informal way saying, well, suppose we did this, or if we did this, could you do that? Um, And that usually ends up kind of breaking things down where we can come to an agreement. But unfortunately, because of the relationship in this contract or these negotiations, it takes a while for us to get there. Mm -hmm. It takes a while for us to get there. I know... um, you know, like I said, every union does it differently. Uh, we, with Stater Brothers, um, once again, the economics are set by the master contract. Um, but Stater Brothers, we literally just talk about language, work conditions. If they have ideas that they want to run by us, we signed off on the Stater Brothers deal in, I think, three and a half hours um, when we did sit down. Right. Um, Stater Butters is a very unique company. They come ready to work. Um, they're not looking for a long, protracted fight. The people they send to the table can actually make decisions. A lot of times we, uh, with the other employers, their negotiators can't make a decision. Um, they, or they can't to a certain point. But above that, they have to call back east. Um, it takes three hours difference. Um, you know, and since we're dealing with two employers and their competitors in the marketplace, they have to make sure that they're having their own discussions. They have to, okay, well, we do this. What does it mean when we compete against these guys here? And so there's a lot of different variables that go into kind of coming to an agreement. Um, but it is unique for each employer on how we do it. Um, look, we have a big contract coming up next year with Food for Less. 
um, which is owned by Kroger. Um, and Kroger may not be too happy about what they had to pay in this contract, and we don't know what's going to happen with that contract. So we'll be working to uh, internally organize and build up our membership at Food for Less and make them strong. And if uh, we have to have a, a protracted fight, then we'll be ready. So I know, Mark, that in our uh, – I remember, even though it's been a, whatever, a few months since we did the initial recording – I remember that we did, we did mention that you, in fact, uh, we see you at all kinds of community events, and and the union is very involved, the uh, local, and I assume the union union as a whole, in supporting community and mentoring Absolutely. types of efforts. Absolutely. So you don't get too much rest, but I'm hoping you're a little <laughs> well rested after that last uh, bout prior to the whatever it's, leading up to whatever kind of like getting your out. sea legs um, <laughs> um, you know, you've kind of been out in rough waters for a while you're trying to get settled again i, I guess i i didn't really uh let you speak to one last thing which is yeah. uh was any specific real focus given to automation in the terms of this negotiation this round I mean, inevitably, it seems, and, and we did discuss uh, in what will later be heard. Right. Uh, we did discuss that that's a, a factor mm-hmm. uh, happening where people call, go to a grocery store. You, in fact, I'm going to remind you, you you suggested uh, that people, uh, you know, first of all, talk to the human being who's working there, absolutely, and thank them, and maybe absolutely. seek out their absolutely. You know. uh, I think I think it is. Look, one of the regardless of. Uh, I always like to say that people working and people earning a good wage and paying their taxes and being contributing members to our society is a very fiscally conservative idea. Um, Paying people less so very few can make more um, actually creates a, a larger burden on society as a whole. So one of the best things that we can do when we shop is actually go to the check stand. The companies will... I don't have... They've never given us anything. It's just my own suspicion. But I believe that they understaff our stores. They understaff our stores to force customers to go to the self-checkout, to train you to use them. Um, And you're using them, and you're not being paid. Um, You're not getting a discount. You're literally just helping the company cut hours. And when they're cutting hours and reducing the amount of jobs they have in the store, um, the price of the product doesn't go down. But the profits sure go up, and we end up with more people having to either seek a second job, seek public assistance, and again, the burden for that person's economic survival gets spread across the, the society as a whole. Renee, may yeah. want to tell you, I, I think yeah, maybe I, an I unnamed went, yeah, I went major... Yeah, I our local... Um, oh, major pharmacy major chain. Major pharmacy store. chain. Mm-hmm. And they were doing a big uh, remodel, uh, and then I noticed that they had new um, automated checkouts and just very few that were manned or that were not manned personed personed, um, by real people and I asked the manager I said he said you could go over there I said no 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 I don't want to thank you I I want to check out with a person I don't want to take somebody's job he said it doesn't matter we're already losing our jobs we were told if we don't get up to 65 Mm percent Of, of our customers using those, we're not going to be here anymore. They'll hmm. can us and they'll find somebody else who will promote those. Yeah. Well, and that may be very true for the manager because he's not a union member. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and that becomes the problem is that there is a lot of downward pressure. And look, I don't always agree with our store managers, but I do sympathize with them because it is a very thankless job because they are literally stuck in the middle. Yeah. Um, a lot of them have come up to the ranks and sought a better opportunity, um, but they are stuck in the middle and they get uh, they're on the front line of having to um, make that store successful when the company says we have to we have to reduce hours and we have to increase this store's margins. Um, you know, it's it's a never ending cycle and they just continue to squeeze and squeeze and want more. Um, but I think as we as a society just uh, or as customers just refuse to use those, yeah. we leave them nowhere to go. They become just a ghost. Um, you know, the other thing that they do is they theft is high. Theft is high when you have a lot of self checkouts because you don't have people monitoring. You know, the UFCW a few years ago um, did a bill that made it illegal to be able to buy alcohol through a self-checkout. That was our bill. Yeah, we did that. That was our bill because, um, because, uh, you know, folks under 21 
can be very creative when it comes to trying to access and, and get a hold mm-hmm. of, of uh, adult beverages. Um, and they had some very intriguing and interesting and uh, genius ways of circumventing uh, those self-checkouts. Um, and we still see it, and we still see it, and you still have to have people manning them. But I look, Oregon is, uh, up in Oregon, they're getting to run a, a, a ballot measure that would, I think it would limit, I think it depends on the size of the store and the volume of the store, but it would limit how many self-checkouts you can have per store. So well, that good. might be something that yeah. we need to consider here in California. You don't want to hear a liquor store um, self-checkout mechanism singing, what do you do with a drunken sailor? <laughs> so uh, so on that note, um, I'm going to uh, say thank you to our listeners and to Renee Nahum here and also to present-day Mark Ramos. We're going <laughs> to uh, segue into past tense, I guess, Mark Ramos, Back in, I, I forget if it was August, but it was sometime talking about the negotiations, which were then ongoing, giving details, which we didn't spell out here. So there's some real reason, if you're curious, to listen to that as well um, and get a sense of different tone and energy to some extent. But the, resol- the resolute nature of, uh, of Mark and USCW and labor in general is, is constant and consistent, I think. And, and so we look forward to hearing from uh, any listener and anyone who wants to share an idea, a suggestion as to a topic, labor-related or otherwise, but labor-related will go into our perhaps named Loves Labor Juan podcast. We're gonna, I'm getting evil looks perhaps from everyone about that. Um, but thank you guys. And, and again, this podcast episode will be continuing on into what we recorded a number of months ago. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you. Paul. For many consumers, grocery stores are their main go-to source of food, including healthy food options. That's why communities with no grocery stores are called food deserts. But grocery stores are not just buildings with aisles and shelves. They are also where people work hard, long hours to make your shopping experience as pleasant and easy as possible. In this podcast, recorded in late July of 2019, your Hole in the Air podcast team talks with Mark Ramos. Mark is president of Local 1428 of UFCW, the United Food and Commercial Workers. In that capacity, he represents many of the people you see working in grocery stores, and is among those leading ongoing contract negotiations on behalf of seven UFCW locals and their 60,000 workers. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Paul Michael Newman with Hole in the Air. Uh, Renee is joining us, and so is our special guest for this episode, Mark Ramos, who is the president of United Food and Commercial Workers Local 1428. That's the UFCW Local 1428. And he's at the negotiating table on a really crucial effort and, and matter, and that's why we're talking to t- today. That's why we're talking with him today. So consequently, Mark, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, maybe without further ado, perhaps you'd be kind enough to to discuss and describe what's happening. Oh, I'd be glad to. Thank you both so much for the invitation to have this conversation um, and to kind of update folks as to where we're at right now in these uh, grocery negotiations. We're currently negotiating with Albertsons, Rouse, Vons, and Pavilions, um, four different store names, but really two different companies, Kroger and Albertsons. Um, this contract affects 60,000 workers from Bakersfield down to the Mexican border. In this podcast, Mark has been describing the master contract, which is the main bone of contention, so to speak, involving the biggest chains. A separate contract with Stater Brothers Markets is also up, covering all of the same geography as the master contract from Bakersfield down to the Mexican border, though there aren't Stater Brothers stores in all of the seven locals areas. The Stater contract is pretty much the same as the master contract when it comes to wages, benefits, and working conditions. We've been in negotiations since March. We just finished up um, this Wednesday, this past Wednesday, 17th to the 19th of July, our last negotiating session. We have uh, one more round of negotiations uh, on the calendar. We'll see if more come after that. Um, Recently, our members took a strike vote, approved a strike authorization vote of 96% of the membership because our members are tired. They're tired and they know this process should have been resolved already. They under they know that they work hard. All they're asking for very simply is for their company to respect their efforts where they go in every day and make these companies profitable. They serve their community. They serve their customers. They serve them with pride um, to make sure that the best possible product is available and those folks come back. 
our folks, um, a lot of folks don't know this, but, you know, um, these jobs used to be middle-class jobs. The average wage right now of a grocery worker is somewhere around $14.50 an hour. Um, they struggle every day. 70% of our members are part-time. majority of our members are women. A good portion of them are single moms. They have affordable health care. They have a pension that will allow them to retire in dignity. And they just, like I said, every day they're going to work and they're doing more and more with less. The company continues to put more and more pressure on them because the company knows the best way to save money in a grocery store is not by slashing prices, by cutting labor. By cutting labor and making the workers perform more, having to do more every day, turnover is really high in these grocery stores because the wages are so low, and that puts more and more stress on our more senior members. And look, and I'm not talking about companies that are broke. Albertsons and Vons are, are, and Kroger or Rouse, by extension, are extremely profitable corporations. Um, Kroger or Rouse, I'll, I'll just start saying Rouse because that's what we all know here in Southern California, um, is one of the leading grocers in the country. They have uh, been making money hand over fist. Um, Albertsons and Vons are extremely uh, heavily in debt, about $11 billion in debt, but they're making money and their goal is to pay down their debt because what they're trying to do is go public. They are currently owned by a private equity firm named Cerebus. Um, they owe Cerebus a lot of money. They owe their, their bondholders a lot of money. They need to go public um, in order basically to flip the company. The private equity firm has pretty much squeezed everything out of this company, and now it's time to flip the uh, flip the asset and make, make more of a profit because they've already made a profit off the company. And then the goal is to then cash out, uh, and these guys go on their merry way and continue to uh, find another company and make more and more money, um, all while the workers continue to strain and struggle just to put food on the table. It is obscene to me that people who work around food every day, prepare food every day for their customers, have to go home hungry. Have to go home hungry and have to worry about how they're going to take care of their family, how they're going to feed their family, how they're going to put a roof over their head, um, how they're going to pay the water bill. We are in a fight. Uh, it is a tough fight. Um, and it just it's, it infuriates me that we have to go through this fight every three or four years um, because we know the companies can do the right thing. And it is simply on them that they refuse to do the right thing. The union's wage demands are not presently being made public, but it's clear that the huge grocery chains are currently offering significantly less than what UFCW seeks for its members. From the union's perspective, pretty much all grocery store employees are underpaid compared to the corporate profits that result from such labor. Of particular concern to UFCW are the low wages paid to workers in the service deli and bakery sections, and so a specific goal is closing the wage gap in a manner that is equitable and beneficial to all. Also at issue is how companies may be gaming contracts by assigning work meant for higher paid employees to those with less expertise but who cost less per hour. While companies might appreciate any added flexibility, workers may need added safeguarding, with some loopholes being closed. We should emphasize that UFCW focuses not just on wage increases and other issues related to pay, but also on affordable health care and pension protection, so that members might best provide for and care for their families, both immediately and in the long term. So what is the timeline in terms of every three or four years? What's the next uh, – what, what are the drop-dead dates or anything along those lines? No real drop-dead dates. We'll continue to negotiate. Um, the I would I want to thank everybody in the, who is uh, listening or who has family or friends or allies who have participated in any of the actions that we've had or shown support to our members. Um, look, we'll continue to negotiate until we feel that there is no other option left and we have to, if we have to call a strike. Um, the goal is always not to have a strike. The strike is always the last resort. Um, but it, it is tough. It is tough when you're dealing with these corporations, like I said, that have a lot of money in reserve and a lot of resources um, and our members who struggle every every day um, and live paycheck to paycheck, um, a strike is a very serious thing to us. And a strike is always the last uh, um, uh, last kind of straw or last sword that we will draw or arrow in our quiver, if you want to say. Um, but at some point, everything will come to a head if these companies don't sit down and offer these members, uh, these workers, who are actually the ones – look, the, 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 uh, the CEOs of these companies are very rich. 
And they're not rich because people are shopping in their stores. They're rich because people put product on the shelf every day so the customers can purchase it. These folks are the direct line to these uh, to, to the millions that these guys are making. And all we're saying is that they deserve their fair share. When was the last strike and how have conditions changed or not since that time? Our last strike was in 2004. It was about 139 days. It was it was a, not an easy strike. Um, our members, a lot of members, uh, suffered through that. Um, we uh, we held on to what we had to hold on to. Um, three years later, our members came back um, when they, that contract after we settled, they came back and voted 97 percent to go on strike again if they had to. Um, our members are carrying their fair share. Folks will talk about, um, you know, that our members don't pay a lot for health care. Our members pay $15 a week for full coverage, for family coverage. But our members have given up a lot over the years. Our members have spent down reserves in their health care fund um, so the company's cost didn't rise. Our companies, our employers, are actually paying less per hour for health care for our members than they were before the strike. There aren't a whole lot of people in today's society who are actually paying less for healthcare costs than they were uh, 16, 16 years ago. Our members have uh, offset those costs by burning down those reserves, and the company has put that money in their pocket. Um, and so what we're asking for is now that uh, our members uh, um, want to make sure that they're, they're getting their fair share. You thank some uh, people or groups for uh, their participation in, I assume, recent actions. What are the kinds of things that have been happening to date in this uh, round of negotiations and what may happen uh, in the near future? Well, we've had great support from the community. One of the things that makes Southern California very unique is that um, even folks who basically aren't union members or aren't labor-friendly, they understand that these are community-based jobs, that the folks who work in the grocery stores are your neighbors. Um, they're, they're the children. If you're a teacher, their children uh, go to your schools. Um, and folks have been fantastic in coming out to support our members, whether it's coming to a rally, whether it's going into the grocery store and telling those workers that, look, we support you. We're here with you. Um, we've had folks doing delegations, taking letters into store managers to let their corporate bosses know that we're here. Um, we support these workers. And if you guys do not settle a fair deal and there is a strike, we won't be shopping here. It is a very unique position that we are in in, in, uh, in Southern California. And we as a USCW, um, as me as the president of Local 1428, on behalf of my members and all of our members in Southern California, we can't thank the public enough for the support that they've shown. So is this uh, limited to Los Angeles or Southern California or California or is it nationwide or what? This contract affects workers um, who work in these grocery stores from Bakersfield down to the Mexican border. But we are dealing with national corporations. Um, Albertsons and Vons are all over the country under, under lots of different banners. Um, Kroger, which is Rouse, again, all over the country. Kroger, currently we're in negotiations with Kroger in the Memphis market, in Washington State, in Oregon, in Nevada, and down here in Southern California. Um, we, um, we will probably be um, trying to stretch this fight to make sure that folks in Memphis know what's going on in Southern California and folks in Southern California know what's going on in Memphis to let Kroger know that this isn't a regional fight. This isn't just a, an attack on uh, uh, one contract that uh, to go back to the age old labor adage, uh, labor saying that an injury to one is an injury to all. That's how we're looking at this fight. And uh, if need be, we will make sure that folks in Memphis or Washington State or Oregon understand what's going on down here and vice versa. And now uh, you've mentioned that really there's a dwindling number of of major uh, corporate entities, uh, that there has been a consolidation in the industry. Uh, how is that affecting this particular struggle, effort, battle, whatever we call it? And uh, and and is it and how are they uh, treating the negotiations to date? No, and that's a great question, Paul. Um, I can tell you that when I first started working in a grocery store 32 years ago, I worked at Alpha Beta. Um, now I'm showing my age. Not a lot of folks, I'm sure some folks listening to this saying, what's an Alpha Beta? Um, but some of us will remember those days. When we negotiated those contracts back when I first started, there was Alpha Beta, there was Lucky's, there was Boys. Albertsons and Vons were separate companies. There were, there were many more players in the marketplace. Um, and now basically we're dealing with two companies. We're dealing 
with Albertsons and Vons, one company, and in Kroger, which is Ralph's, under the other company. So whereas before we might have been dealing with 10 different companies under this contract and they were all under the one contract, now it's really two. The consolidation of their power has really allowed them to um, align their resources They'll tell you cost-cutting. Um, they might even blame the strike on loss for market share because they're always complaining about their loss for market share. But what they won't tell you is that they caused the strike in 2003 and 2004. They wanted a strike. It was their position to go after us, to go after our members, to try to break our union, um, to bri- try to break our members' will. That when they talk about that folks started shopping at Trader Joe's or other non-union grocers, it is because of the action that the companies took against our members, and they forced the shopping public, who thankfully were supporting our members, but they forced the shopping public to learn new habits and go to these kinds of grocery stores. Do they use the uh, threat of uh, ventral automation uh, to pressure people into settling for something now? Or do, is that at all an issue in, in these negotiations? It, it, is, it is actually an issue. And what we're trying to do is make sure that as um, we call it um, the jobs of the future, as, as our industry begins to change, um, that our members have a voice at the table, that we negotiate those kinds of changes through collective bargaining, that we protect as many jobs as we possibly can, that we protect um, wages, to we try to make sure that, that the, the remaining jobs, if there are job losses, that those are good jobs, community-supporting jobs. Um, so there was a lot of that. These companies are really focused on a lot of that kind of stuff. Albertsons, um, which had gotten rid of self-checkouts, is now bringing them back. Um, now, I will tell you, I don't use self-checkouts, and a lot of folks I know who uh, that I know don't use them. I don't really think folks like self-checkout. I think what these companies are trying to do is train the public um, to use self-checkouts by making sure the lines are long. You cut labor in the store, you increase the checkout lines, and then at at the end of the day, the the customer has no alternative but to use these self-checkout machines. Or what you're doing at Rouse, when you see the, uh, the scan bag and go, that you're actually going around the store and scanning in your own groceries um, and then checking yourself out at the end of the day with no benefit to yourself. I mean, it, it, it doesn't reduce the cost of your eggs. Um, and so we're starting to see more and more of this kind of creep into the industry. And what we're saying at the bargaining table is that our members deserve a voice at the table to see what these changes look like. And I, I do want to mention that Mark here and, and his local, 1428, the local he's the president of, and UFCW are all renowned are treasured for so many different things they do that are community involved and supportive, uh, supportive of youth programs of me- in terms of mentoring, but also all kinds of uh, food drives for for the community for the, those in need. Uh, the, the list is too long to to, uh, to to give out here, but it is probably one of the reasons why I suspect both in the communities as a whole in the community as a whole, amongst the public here, but also among the political players. There is a great appreciation and respect. So I'm curious if there are any legislators who have done anything that's at all in sympathy and harmony with your efforts. Well, you know, actually, you mentioned it. Yeah, there is a bill right now in Sacramento, AB 1066, um, um, authored by Assemblymember Gonzalez Fletcher. Um, And the bill is very simple. It says that if workers are striking or locked out, that they will be entitled to unemployment insurance Um, after, I believe it's after four weeks, after four weeks of being out of work, that they would be able to apply for unemployment insurance. Now, I don't, a lot of folks, you know, I should say a lot of folks, I say a lot of folks, I mean the Chamber of Commerce um, and, and other business entities say that this bill will lead to more strikes. I don't see it that way. I see this bill as actually leading to less strikes because what it will do is it, what it will do is create parity at the bargaining table when the employers know that they cannot starve a worker back into a concessionary contract, that the worker will have a lifeline to help them sustain a strike, it will actually lead to fairer contracts um, and a better settlement. I can tell you in 2000, 2004, our employers were housing scab drivers um, and other personnel in hotels for up to a month before the strike because we knew they were bargaining for a strike. When we found that out, 
It was absolutely clear to us um, that they had bargained for a strike with the full intent of breaking our union. They had saved for years for that opportunity that they saw that was presented to themselves. Um, the the three that back then there were three. Um, it was Albertsons, Ralphs, and Vons. They were all separate companies. Um, they had aligned their resources. They shared revenue during the strike. Their intent was to break us. And AB 1066 just says that if an employer is going to try to game the system because they have unlimited resources, if they're going to try to game the system and force workers into a concessionary contract, then this bill will bring some parity back to the bargaining table. And where is that bill now? It is right now in the Senate. Uh, it just got out of the Senate uh, Labor Committee. So I believe, I don't know if it has to go to another committee or it's moving on to the floor in the Senate. So when the California legislature reconvenes um, next month, um, it will begin to make its way, um, hopefully, to the governor's desk. And hopefully the governor um, sees the importance of this bill and um, doesn't fall for the false rhetoric of the Chamber of Commerce or the, the growth, California Grocers Association who are trying to demonize this bill. Um, and actually, the bill is um, it is a priority for UFCW, but it is uh, it is supported by all of all of uh, labor, the California Labor Federation. So all unions in the state are supporting this bill because, again, um, we're all dealing with consolidation. Whether if you're the phone company, if you're a member of CWA, um, you have seen more and more jobs um, offshored from the call centers, sending jobs overseas um, and enforcing concessionary contracts onto the workers. So if the workers decide to take a stand, um, again, in my opinion, just brings more parity to the table. Um, just, I guess, one last question, which is, uh, can you, I know you mentioned you uh, a while back, some years mm-hmm. back, worked in, started to office a, was it a, a checker, a bagger? I started off bagging groceries. So what else can you tell us about your background, just so we know you're not just a, a labor leader, <laughs> but you have uh, whatever you want to tell us? I, uh, I started in the grocery industry 32 years ago. I was going to school. Um, and I wanted to work in embassies. Here in L.A.? Here in L.A. Uh, I actually grew, I grew up first 10 years in East L.A., and then um, Mom moved us out to Azusa. So I've been here in the San Gabriel Valley since I was 10 years old. Um, absolutely love the region, born you know, born and raised here in Southern California. Don't want to be anywhere else. Um, but, um, yeah, I started working in the grocery stores when I was going to school. I was going to Citrus Community College. Um, I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to work in embassies around the world. Hmm. Um, I wanted to be a foreign service officer. I thought it was a very intriguing idea. Um, but look, life happens. I met a gal. Um, you know, we had known each other for a very long time. Her brother was one of my best friends. Um, met a gal, fell in love, um, got married, and life changed. Um, and that's okay. And it's okay that life changes because I can tell you, I am actually living my dream now. My dream is helping people, advocating for people. Um, but what that grocery job did for me was help me raise my family. Uh, I had affordable health insurance. Um, we raised our two wonderful sons, um, bought a home, you know, the American dream, right, if you want to call it. Um, and that's what this job did for me. And I want to make sure that this job is still available for those who are in our industry or still coming into our industry, that it affords them the opportunities that it afforded me. Um, through all of that, I've made a lot of wonderful relationships with here with Paul and Renee and, and a lot of other folks and um, decided to get active in Democratic Party politics. And now I uh, also, a, 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 you know, on my, my spare time, I volunteer as a regional director or a state party official um, with the California Democratic Party and working with uh, delegates to the party and the party itself and just trying to bring more awareness of what's going on in our communities, working with clubs and trying to get more members uh, from labor active in Democratic Party. And was any of your family, uh, is there a labor background to your family? How did you end up doing the labor uh, thing? You know, my dad was a steel worker um, for over 30 years. Uh, after World War II, got a job at American Can Company in Vernon, California. Um, and during the early 70s, when the steel industry was shrinking, uh, he got laid off. And uh, I saw my dad go from a very well-paying job in the 70s um, to struggling after that with minimum wage jobs to the, for the rest of his life till he passed away. Um, and it, it had an impact on me. Um, but really, I think in the household I grew up in, we always talked about fairness. Mom was a community activist, started the East L.A. Mothers Club, um, did a ton of work in East L.A., um, and really taught us to kind of speak our voice and care about your neighbor. Um, and as far as falling into uh, you know leadership of the union, 
Um, I've always had his beliefs, and it has been um, a blessing and a dream come true, like I mentioned earlier, to be able to kind of live out and advocate for the things that I believe in. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's about fairness. I believe that someone should go to work every day, be paid a fair wage, be able to come home to their family, um, go to the doctor if they need to, but come home to your family, enjoy a, a, enjoy a nice living quarters, and at the end of the day, um, be able to retire in dignity. If anybody out there wants to know more, wants to be involved, uh, is there any particular website or, or place that they go to to find out what's going on and to communicate their support and ask how they can help? Yeah, there's look, there's every, every one of our, our UFCW locals in Southern California, whether it's, uh, and I'll start from the south and work my way up, UFCW Local 135 in San Diego, UFCW 324 in Orange County, UFCW 1167 out in the Riverside, San Bernardino area. Um, we're here in the San Gabriel Valley, UFCW 1428. We've got UFCW 770 downtown LA, UFCW 1442 along the coast, uh, Malibu into El Segundo, and um, to the north, UFCW local eight golden state um, everyone has a website uh, you can google us um, here it's uscw1428.org there is one big website where folks can go to called foodfightus.org um, with lots of information videos petitions you can sign um, and um, i think we'll start seeing a, a lot of this we communicate a lot with the community, but I think we're going to start seeing more of it here um, because at the bargaining table, we have seen where the employers are feeling the pressure. They are understanding that if they don't do the right thing, that the community will be there to support us. So we are they, – they're starting, I won't say make movement, but it's incremental movement. But we know it's based on the pressure that's being applied. So I would encourage folks to keep up the pressure. Keep up the pressure. Go into those grocery stores. Sign the petitions. Um, you know, good, show the workers you support them. Join a rally. Talk to your talk to your neighbors because at the end of the day, these grocery store workers are your neighbors. Well, I uh, certainly agree, and I hope. Well, I know next time I'm in a store, I'm going to go up and shake appreciate the hand. It. I appreciate uh, it. And say thank you. Uh, I appreciate our the, members. The person, it. Uh, the, or the person or persons who are there. I think I probably do that already. Yeah. Um, I'm now, sure you now, do. Now I'll do, it, I'll do it a little bit more knowledgeably. Um, I want to thank Renee Nahum, of our, uh, my fellow member of this Hole in the Air podcast team. And I especially want I certainly thank you out there, whoever is listening. And I want to uh, lastly thank our special guest, Mark Ramos, who is the president of UFCW, which is United Food and Commercial Workers, uh, Local 1428. Thank so, you very much. So thank, thank you very you much for the invitation. Best of luck. Sure. Thank you, everybody. Labor unions champion the safety and well-being of working people and their families and are essential to the economic life of this country. Hole in the Air invites you to let us know about the issues, challenges, and triumphs, labor and otherwise, that you may be experiencing. Email us at slenunciator at gmail.com, and please check out our other podcasts at slenunciator.com. Thanks for listening, and have a good day.